Hey, thanks for listening to the Junior Ziggler podcast. If you're crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. My youngest daughter, her, her name is, is Reese, and I know I'm biased, but this girl is one of the most fascinating people I have ever met. She's, she's a feral child, definitely. She somehow ages me and keeps me young. Uh, actually, we, I brought her in, came in early for mic check, and, and she noticed, if you're watching online, we have a camera that, that goes between the ceiling and it's on like this little, this little line. And so she noticed the, the camera and she goes, Dad, and I, know, I know what I want to do now. I said, what? She says, I want a zip line on that line above. I mean, just this girl has like, has absolutely no fear. She's an adventurer to the core, afraid of nothing. She rides on a motorcycle with me and she climbs everything. The, the other day I was driving the truck and while it was moving, she jumped out of the truck. So I, I get after her. I was like, I could have killed you doing that. She's like, I just want to see if I could do it without getting hurt. Like she's just, she's, she's nuts. And she, she never wears shoes. So she spent the summer up at our camp, and there's gravel roads all over. In fact, this is up at camp. There's gravel roads all over up at camp. But she spent the whole summer without shoes on walking these gravel roads. And so last week, we were, as a family, we were watching a movie, and she jumped up into my lap, and I started rubbing her feet. And I called Nicole over right away. I was like, get over here. you got to feel the bottom of Reese's feet. It felt like a shoe, just like these thick calluses. She can walk on anything, just these hard, hard calloused feet. I bet you know what it's like, right? You get to the end of the summer like this, and if you've been barefoot, you walk around, you have these calloused feet. Similar thing can happen in our relationship with God. Our hearts can become calloused. And I wonder how many of us walked in here with calloused hearts. Calloused feet, they can be fine, even helpful in some things, but a calloused heart is very tragic. In fact, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee with, with his disciples, and, and as he's walking, he turns to his disciples and he quotes one of the most haunting verses, in my opinion, one of the most haunting verses in, in Scripture. It's actually from the prophet Isaiah, but Jesus is walking with his crew, and he quotes old prophet Isaiah, and he says, when, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes. Jesus says there will be people with calloused hearts. What's even more haunting is, you know who Jesus is talking about right here? He's talking about these people. He's talking about religious people. Jesus said that many religious people, many churchgoers, so this could be some of us, they read the Bible, but they don't really get it. They hear the preaching of God's word, but it doesn't really matter. Like God is right there moving, but they don't even see him and doesn't do anything because their hearts are hard. And it's haunting because we look at this verse and we wonder, is this me? Is this you? It's so easy for our hearts to become calloused. And maybe you feel it. This is hard heart. Not having this relationship with God that you know deep down you really want, that you desire. There's like this weird disconnect. Like you believe in God and you go to church, read your Bible, maybe you serve, maybe you give, but you, you're at your heart. 
You ever fear that it's this right here? Like something isn't right. Not as sensitive to God, not as sensitive to God's voice, not as sensitive to the activity of God. You just kind of feel like, like you're missing him. That's a calloused heart. It's a very serious thing. And like many serious issues, there are symptoms when it comes to this serious issue. Let's see if any of these symptoms are aligned with what you're experiencing at all. Little to no excitement about God. So you look around, there's some people who are really excited about God, or God is doing something great, and you just struggle to even feel any of that excitement. Or difficulty worshiping. In scripture, uh, over and over in Scripture, Scripture tells us that you know, when we pray or we sing to God, we, we lift our hands. It's this, this act of surrender. So a lot of times, maybe you're new to, to Christianity, and we're just so glad that you're with us, but you ever see people like lifting their hands in worship? That doesn't mean like, oh, they just feel this emotion. This is how Scripture teaches us to worship, this, this act of surrendering. It's actually a little bit uncomfortable, but this is how God wants us to be, like, like a child saying, Dad, pick me up. This is how Scripture tells us to worship and to come before God, but it's really hard sometimes. Difficulty worshiping, being critical. Just come into church or go with your small group or you get with some other people. It's just just critical of of everything. Or apathy toward Christian disciplines. Like, you know you should be in God's word or you you know you should be praying and and pushing into a better prayer life, but you're just kind of apathetic about it. Or here's a big one. Sin doesn't bother you. Like, you know something breaks the heart of God, but it just, it doesn't really bother you. And here's what happens is, is we can experience one of these or a few of these, or I don't know, maybe for some of us, for all of these. And what we'll do is we'll try to explain them away then. But the reality is, is we don't like that we're here somewhere. And then we read this verse from, from Jesus and it's a little frightening and we're not quite sure what to do. And so we try not to think about this, but then we come to church and junior makes us think about it. Thankfully, Jesus' own little brother gives us a way of of thinking through this, and it's exactly what the doctor ordered. So we're going to be in in, uh, James chapter 1, verse 21. Let me pray, and we'll jump right in. God, I thank you so much for your word. We thank you for James. We know that this is your word. And Father, may you remind us, whether we're uh, just checking things out or whether we've been a a believer for for decades, Father, may you remind us just of the weight of this moment of gathering with other believers and opening up your word. These are words from you. God breathed. So Father, we come before you in humility, asking you to do a surgery if you must. Father, may you break through some hearts right now. Maybe some hearts that haven't been open to you ever or haven't been open to you in a while. May you break down some of those walls. Father, we want to experience you in a fresh way. And we believe it'll be through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we enter into James chapter 1, James stares at a blank canvas awaiting ink. He pauses for, for thought, just to think about the recipients of who will receive this letter that he's writing. All of a sudden, faces start coming to mind. It's people that he's baptized, people that he's met with, people that he helped pack up and, and move to where they're at now. 
A few years ago, there was just there was so much excitement going on in his church. The church was brand new. It was the very first church here in Jerusalem, and it was growing like gangbusters, like wild. The empty tomb down the street sparked something incredible, and the church there got to be part of it. It was just this wild ride. But since then, things have gotten more difficult. The government has been putting pressure on, on the church, and some have fallen away and walked away from the church. Many have moved away from the church. The church was new, and it was fun, and it was exciting to be part of, but that thrill is all gone. So he leans back in his chair, and he scratches his beard, and a feeling of concern hits him. He knows it'll be easy for people to become callous now at this point. The excitement is gone. The hardship is hit. They've seen some friends of theirs leave. They've been hurt by some of their friends leaving. And this is when the calluses begin to form. And so James writes this in verse 21. He writes, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now, therefore, if you remember from English class, therefore is a conjunction. So uh, the reason I say that is because in a conjunction, he's tying in what he just talked about in the previous verses, what we talked about last week, anger. So he's saying, I know some of you are angry. There's some things going on that upset you. You've seen people fall away from the church. You've had to move away from where you wanted to live. You don't like where you're living. There are some things in the church that bother you. There's some people, some decisions, whatever. There's some things in the church that bother you. It's got you upset. It's when we begin to excuse our sinful response. This is what James is getting at. It's then when we're hurt or when we're angry, we easily fall into these attitudes. We easily fall into gossip or slander or criticalness, and our hearts begin to harden. This is why James, in this verse, he calls us all filth. A lot of us are, are right there, if we're to really be honest with ourselves. Something happened. Something happened. Maybe you lost a friendship. Maybe something happened in your family that there's a, a, a fracture in the family. Maybe you're dating and there's a big breakup. Or maybe COVID hit and you just you don't agree with how the church or how your friends handled COVID. Or maybe there's some political, some political fractures that happened within your friends or your family. Whatever it is, something happened. And this is when the callus begins to form in our hearts to protect you from feeling that. But not in a good way. See, here's how this works. Let me rewind just a little bit. When you become a follower of Jesus, God gives you a, a new heart. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 26, God says that I'm going to give you a new heart. And anytime, you, not anytime, but a lot of times when you read a new heart in scripture or a heart in scripture, heart means the, the seat of your desires, your wanter, for example, the seat of your desires. God gives you a new one. He gives you a new heart. And this is, this is a heart. Your new heart is something that God can interact with. It's a heart that feels conviction from God. It's a heart that feels excitement for, for good things that God is doing, but it's also a, a heart that, that breaks over bad things around you. The problem is, is we, we get this new heart, and it's awesome, but we, we're not perfect. We still sin, especially when we're bothered, right? Especially when something happens in the family, something happens in the church, something happens with your friendships, something happens, and we embrace a bad attitude, or we begin to gossip, or we begin to criticize. We look, to, we look at things we shouldn't look at. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. And God convicts us, and our new heart starts telling us, hey, this isn't right. This isn't good. You, you gotta repent of that. You gotta get rid of that. And that conviction of, from our new heart is meant to bring us back to God, to, to bring us back into what's right. 
But if you're anything like me, you can be stubborn, can't you? We feel that conviction from our new heart. Oh, I shouldn't say that, or I shouldn't have that attitude. But then we start to justify, yeah, but, but, but not that big of a deal, not that big of a deal, not that big of a deal. And we, we fight that conviction. And so what happens then is as we fight that conviction, these calluses begin to form on our heart so that we no longer feel God's conviction. These calluses are protecting our heart from feeling that uncomfortable feeling that God gives us. Conviction. It's kind of like Reese's feet, right? In May, when I brought Reese up to camp, she's walking through camp and she's walking on the gravel barefoot and she's going, ooh, ow, ow, ooh, ow, ow, because her feet were fresh. Her feet weren't meant to walk on those, on those sharp roads. But the more she did it, the more the calluses developed on her feet so that it wouldn't bother her. And then by the end of the summer, right, she's, she's running on those roads and in the bottom of her feet, she doesn't feel anything. This is exactly what happens with your heart. God gives you this new heart, and there was, a, there was a time when your heart was soft, right? There was more excitement. There was this, this freshness about God and the things of God. But then something happened, maybe a variety of things, and you developed something as little as an off attitude. And at first you felt conviction by it. Ah, this isn't right. God's telling me this isn't right. But you kept putting it off. Hey, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. Or you knew you should submit to somebody or something, or you knew you should stop looking at porn, or you knew you should stop watching that show, or you knew you should stop drinking too much. You felt that conviction and it bothered you, but you stayed on it, kind of like Reese in the Rocky Road. You just kept walking there, walking there, walking there, pushing through that, and then calluses began to form on your heart. Before you felt conviction, but now your heart rarely feels anything. You still go to church, but you struggle to sing because of those calluses. You listen to God's word, but it doesn't ever really move you. It's easier to criticize because of these calluses. You rarely feel excitement for what God is doing because you've conditioned your heart not to feel his conviction. And when you don't feel God's conviction, you don't feel anything. I think sometimes we can go to God and we can be very frustrated. God, I'm not, I'm not feeling excitement. I think God's saying, because you've conditioned your heart not to feel my conviction, so you don't feel anything. Those calluses on our hearts, they came from something you kept going on. And it's here we must ask ourselves, okay, what, what is it then? What did I keep walking into that I knew wasn't right? Maybe it's a small attitude. Maybe it's a dislike of someone, you know, you envy someone somewhere, you, you don't like them, and, the, and that dislike grew, and it developed into an attitude, but you just kept walking into it, developing more calluses. Maybe you can trace that, that, those calluses back to lust. Maybe you can trace those calluses back to an unsubmissive heart. You know, you just fight and fight and fight, and calluses grow and grow and grow, but those calluses on your heart, they came from somewhere. Where'd it come from? And if you're anything like me, a lot of times what can happen is you can use those excuses, you know, when, you know, during worship and you're just, you're not really engaging in worship or people are excited about what God is doing and you just don't feel that excitement. I've done this before many times. Uh, you know, I'll say things like, you know, I'm just not really that into singing, right? I'm just not really musical. I'm just built different, you know? I'm just, I'm not more emotional. I don't get as excited about much. That's just an excuse because that is not the heart that God gave me. There is a callus from somewhere. Something you didn't do but should, lead, serve, give, or something you did but shouldn't do. Where did that callus, where did those calluses on your heart come from? This is why James starts by saying, get rid of the filthiness and the rampant wickedness. 
Now, thankfully, he has a remedy. We continue on. Verse 21, he says, here's the remedy. He says, receive with meekness. So we have those calluses on our hearts. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Interesting wording here in, in the end of verse 21, isn't it? He uses the word implanted word. This implies that you can hear God's word, but it not really plant in you. And Jesus would agree because he said that multiple times, even as a, a whole parable about that. But I, I, I mean, it can be true for me, right? Go weeks reading scripture and not be changed by it? You ever walk in and out of church and what did it matter? Why did we even go? Not changed by it. Awful. We can go years of doing this, hearing sermon after sermon, singing song after song, having relationship with, with, with Christians and nothing. And a lot of times this is where Christians then will blame the preacher or will blame the worship or will blame the church. Hey, well, the preacher doesn't, you know, it's, it's not deep enough. Or, you know, it, it's, it's too over my head, or it's not practical enough, or it's too practical, or, you know, there's not enough fancy words, or, you know, well, like, well, I don't really engage in the worship because, I don't know, the, the worship, they just don't pick the worship songs that I like. The song selection isn't what I would pick. Or the church, you know, is doing something that I, makes me struggle to engage more in the church. But the reality is, all of that is just an excuse that we have a calloused heart. Our hard heart isn't in a condition to receive God's word regardless of how it's preached or how it's sang. And we can blame it on whatever, but it goes back to our hard heart. So how do we allow God's word to pierce through our hearts? James says, with meekness. Meekness. Now, the original word is proutes, which means um, humility. In fact, a lot of translations say humility. Your translation in your Bible might say humility. I actually like that better. Um, but the way this, the way, what James is saying here is the way this works it's to break through those calluses on your heart. This right here is the remedy. It's all about humility. Here's the thing. I, I tell our younger speakers this uh, when they begin preaching. But anytime a, a teacher, and this is true for those of you who are teachers in the, in the schools, but anytime a teacher gets up here to teach or, or preach, we realize that there are two different types of people when we preach. Two types of people in our chairs. And I, I tell our, our guys this. You're only going to reach one of these two types of people. Two different types of people in church. The first person puts themselves above the teaching. So the teacher gets up and this person thinks, mm, I'm smarter than you. And if it's me, you're, you're probably very correct. Or, or they think, um, you know, I'm older than you. Or, you know, well, Junior looks homeless. I'm not listening to a guy that looks like he combs his hair with a wrench. So I'm above, the, whatever this guy has to say, I am above what he's going to say. Like for, for whatever reason, somebody, and I'm guilty of this, somebody will put their, themselves above the teaching. And so what happens is we'll sit and we'll just kind of act as a critic then. We'll get in the car and on the way home, tell the spouse about everything in the sermon that could have been better and what, you know, what was missed. And this is true in Jesus' day, wasn't it? Do you remember who put themselves above the teaching of Jesus Christ? It was the religious leaders. And that's still kind of true today. You know who uh, tends to be the, the worst at this? is pastors. We're the worst at this. I can be so guilty of this. I'll, I'll go to a conference and I'll hear a pastor get up and, and they'll teach and I'll sit there and I'll critique him in my head. Like, oh, I, I wouldn't have said that. I would have I gone this route. Oh, you missed that. Why didn't they invite me to come and speak? Just putting myself above them. Because if I can critique that speaker, well, then suddenly I feel like the expert, right? I feel better about myself because I'm envious of that teacher's platform. It's just my calloused heart keeping me from the implanted word. See, we have this tendency to place ourselves above the teaching of God's word. 
It's a, it was an issue in Jesus's day, and it continues to be an issue today. The pride and the arrogance of our criticalness is a callus that keeps the implanted word of God from transforming us. The second person in the chairs will say, well, I'm under the teaching. So let's sit there and think, okay, the teacher might be younger than me, and this teacher might rub me the wrong way, but I'm intentionally putting myself under the teaching of God's word. This is it's an act of humility because they understand it's not about the teacher anyways. It's about God's word. God speaks through his word, and so I can receive that word in humility. It doesn't mean that this person just accepts everything they hear, right? There's, there's false teachers. There are off bad teachings and bad books and popular trends, but this person approaches, enters with humility. I'm putting myself under the teaching. I may have heard this passage before, but I can be reminded of some things. I may not prefer how they're communicating right now, but I can take something. I may not prefer the way they look and what I'm looking at, but it's not about them. I'm just receiving the word in humility. Every time there is teaching of God's word, whether you hear it in a sermon in church or a book or a podcast or radio or a devotional, you approach God's word one of these two ways. And here's the problem. Listen, my own experience. The longer you're around Christianity, the easier it is to be the first person. It's very easy for us to leave the room with more corrections on the service than personal corrections for myself. And every time we do that, our heart gets a little harder. That was the religious leaders. Or if that's not you, which maybe it isn't, because our church really doesn't have many critics. Uh, we try to chase critics off. But what we can do, though, is we can sit here, and I, I, come on, we're all guilty of this. We can sit here and we can think, eh, I hope so-and-so is listening. Ever do that? Oh, gosh, I wish my spouse were here to hear this. So-and-so needs to hear this. And that can be a natural thing to think at some point. But if other people's issues come to mind more when you're in God's word, more than yourself, our heart grows more calluses. And so James is saying here, the only way, the only way to break through these calluses, because these happen, the only way to break through these calluses is by consciously putting yourself below. No, this is, this is for me, and I'm going to receive this word in humility. It's that that breaks through the calloused heart. It's kind of like, the way I like to think about it, and I apologize if this is gross, but the way I like to think about it is in my shower at home, there is this stone sitting by the soap. And when I got married, I didn't know what it was. And I was kind of afraid to ask. But I, since I've learned that it's a, a pumice stone. You ever hear these? It's a pumice stone. Anyone have one of these in their shower at all? A few of us. I bet you have great feet. It's awesome. Because you sit down in the shower with your pumice stone and you rub your feet and it takes off all of the dry skin. It's like really good for your calluses. It gets rid of your calluses and it softens your feet. It makes your feet look good for high heels. It, it, I know it might be a gross picture, but it's just, it's true. Humility is the pumice stone for the calluses on your heart. Now don't you think like, Junior, this is like, this is why I put myself above your teaching because this is totally gross. Totally, I don't blame you, but I couldn't think of a better picture. This stone right here can work miracles. And don't worry, this is new. I haven't used it. But you walk in the shower with old, crusty, dried feet, and this pumice stone helps you walk out with these fresh, soft feet. Humility does the same thing. 
We walk around with these hard hearts, these callous hearts, not feeling much excitement or emotion over who God is or, or, or what God is doing or what he has done. And so, you know, we struggle to worship or our heart never really breaks with, with conviction or we walk away and we're, we're just critical. We got all of these calluses on our heart. Humility is the pumice stone for that. Approaching God and his community and the teaching of God's word and worshiping with humbleness, raising our hands in worship, saying, I don't feel like it. And I kind of humbled to do this because this is weird for me. But like, God, I need you. I need you. That's, that's coming before him humbly, serving in humility, that humility over time. It just breaks down those calluses on your heart. And as James says at the end of verse 21, it's able to save your souls. Feels like an overstatement, but he's saying that's a big deal. And we could just call it there, couldn't we? We got enough work to do now. Humble myself, but we're not going to call it there. We're going to continue. Verse 22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourselves. What does he mean by that? Deceiving yourselves. Well, he's saying that so many people think that they're all right because they read God's word. I've been guilty of this. But, you know, I'm reading God's word, you know, I go to church, but it never changes us. They're not, they're not challenging their actions, and so they're just deceiving themselves. That they're doing all right because they're in God's word, but they're not changing. They're deceiving themselves. And then James uses an illustration, verse 23. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word but not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, scripture, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. In other words, this morning you woke up and you looked in the mirror and hopefully you didn't look in your mirror just to check yourself out. Dang, I should go to church tonight. I look good today. None of us did that. Now you look in the mirror to see, okay, what can I, what can I correct here? I got to pluck that, that, that little hair over there. You look in the mirror to correct. Just as you look in the mirror to correct, so we read scripture to correct ourselves, to do things differently. To receive the word is to do it. It's kind of like my kids. I'm a big believer in, in the house being picked up. I don't want to raise slobs, and so I'm always on them to, to pick up. Let's just, let's just say, I, I tell my daughters, uh, hey, and I actually said this this morning, go pick up your room. They could look at me and they could say, dad, dad, we really care about what you just said. And so we decided to memorize what you just said. You said, pick up your room. In fact, dad, we care so much about what you said. We learned what you said in Hebrew. We translated it just so that we could know what you said. In fact, us sisters, we're going to get together every morning and, and we're going to sit down and really talk about what it would look like to clean our room. That would be ridiculous, right? If they didn't clean their room, I don't care about any of that. I said it so you would do it. And I wonder how often God says that to us. Hey, your Bible study is amazing. That's awesome. And I'm glad you're memorizing scripture. You got to do that. But you got to do it. It's all in the application. Just like we look at a mirror to fix, so we look at scripture. Okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to fix today? What's my next step in following Jesus today? It's very interesting because James is clearing up some pretty big confusion in the church and confusion that exists today. A lot of Christians, 
and I would say, maybe this sounds mean, but especially like wannabe smart Christians um, continue to like just really push and, and, and blare that there needs to be more depth in the church. There needs to be more depth in the church, which I agree. Church should be deep. I've seen some things where it's like, yeah, it kind of feels like a shallow show here. We need depth in the church. But a lot of Christians, not all, but a lot of Christians who define this or who say this, define depth as uh, you need to use bigger words. So the preacher needs to get up on the pulpit and say things like, you know, expiation, propitiation, ecumenical, you know, things that tickle your ears and makes you feel smart, especially if you can use an English accent. I had friends in college, uh, Bible college. They were from down south, so they had this southern drawl. But when they would get up to uh, give a sermon, they would talk in a British accent because their favorite professor did. And it sounds really smart. And so they would get up. I was like, come on, bro. You're from like Mobile, Alabama. Why are you talking like you're from London? But some Christians, we just like eat that stuff up. It's like, ooh, a big word. I don't know what that means. So it must be deep. That's not biblical depth, according to James. James says, you're deceiving yourselves if you're only getting a bigger vocabulary. Biblical depth is, is measured by growing, not just knowing. Yeah, you gotta know, of course, but it's measured by growth. Like later on, we're gonna see this next week, and I, and I love this passage next week is gonna be crazy because I found some stuff in, in next week when he says true religion is visiting orphans and caring for widows. You wanna go deep, go do that. You want more depth? Sacrifice more. You want more depth? Give more. You want more depth? serve more. You want more depth? Humble yourself more. You want to go deeper, church? Tutor some at-risk kids down in the inner city. Take a child in and save families. Go volunteer in a women's shelter. If you want depth, go do that. Like If your theological vocabulary is expanding more, that's awesome. But if your heart isn't expanding with it, there's a serious disconnect. If nobody is better off because of our theological knowledge, then what's the point? I mean, think about it. The, the Pharisees in Scripture, they had great knowledge of the Scriptures, more than us. But it didn't matter. They missed God right in front of them. And nobody around them was better because of their theological knowledge. Christianity makes a grave mistake when we measure depth by knowledge only. We deceive ourselves. And don't get me wrong, knowledge is great. No more. Like, you should know more. Take our master class theology class. Go deeper. You need to know that stuff. But knowledge is only useful in action. What's the use if it's never applied? It just doesn't matter. It reminds me of, uh, it reminds me of a big Christian band when I was growing up in the 90s. Some of you might remember this band. It was uh, DC Talk. Anybody remember that band? So good. It was, uh, they had this album. It was probably their biggest album. It was called the Jesus Freak album. Anybody ever hear this or have this CD in their, in their car? It was like 1990s Christian icon. Like if you had this and a WWJD bracelet, you were, you were doing well for yourself. I, my dad would probably disagree with me. but So I was raised in more of a traditional family. But what I love about my parents is as I was growing and my mind was expanding, they would have a lot of conversations with me. And when I pushed them on stuff, they'd actually hear me out. And, and this was one of those things. When this CD first came out, they were like, you are not, li- Jesus freak, that's a t- you're not listening to that. And, and then I would share some of the lyrics with them. And they're like, okay, well, I, yeah, I guess it's okay. It became one of my, my favorite CDs. But if you know the track, you probably heard this, but before, um, 
Track number four, so Jesus Freak was the third song, and track number four was What If I Stumble, but before What If I Stumble, right before the track played, the music played, there was this old recording of this guy named Brennan Manning. Now, Brennan Manning is an old preacher and a writer. He's brilliant. Uh, he wrote The Ragamuffin Gospel, which is a, is a good book, but, but the CD quotes him by saying this. Old preacher says this. He says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out those doors and go on with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. This hits hard, doesn't it? Because how many times do we come in here and do exactly this? Church is great. We get into scripture, maybe learn a few new things, but then we walk out those doors and nothing changes. Nothing changes. See, scripture has shown itself to be true, but my fear is that God's people portray it as being ineffective. If scripture is what we believe it is, what is, it? What is Paul write to Timothy? God breathed. Just think about that for a second. The text that we hold in our hands is God breathed. The one who spoke galaxies into existence, then the vapor of his breath, the planets formed. Job writes that by his breath, the heavens are cleared. It's like this consuming picture of terror and might and power. It's the very breath of God and we hold it in our hands. How can it not touch our hearts? How can we encounter the same breath of God and not walk out of those doors completely wrecked? How can we brush up against something so powerful and rarely, if ever, feel this sense of fear? How can this not decimate our opinions and give us this bigger view of God? How can we not relentlessly seek for its conviction, tune our hearts into it, and obsessively apply it everywhere we can? How can we meet the very breath of God and walk away unchanged? And James is saying, it's those calluses. It's those calluses that formed on your heart. It's why the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon, he wrote, above all, more than all, more than getting the right job and, and more than getting married and having kids and more than buying a house and more than saving for retirement, above all your pursuits, above all of your checklists, above all of your dreams, above all of that, would you guard your heart? Guard your heart. I've mentioned this before, but uh, years ago, and I, I got this from a pastor, years ago I added something to my daughter's bedtime routine. Uh, kids' bedtime is like, for you parents, you know, this is like the best time of the day, right? You know, the chaos just calms, and now I get some time with their mama, and it's just like, all right, put them to bed. And so we brush teeth, and we brush hair, and we get them into their pajamas and their stuffed animals, and they hop into bed, and I jump in with them. And, and every night before we pray, they ask the same question. They say, Daddy, uh, can you do no night questions? And it's something that I've done, again, I got it from another pastor, but I've done this ever since they were in diapers. As right before we pray, I put my hand on their little chest and I ask this question. I say, how's your heart? And they giggle, you know, huh, good. And then I ask her, are you mad at anybody? No, dad, I'm not mad at anyone. 
Did anybody hurt your feelings today? Yeah, well, so-and-so said this, and then they did that. I was like, okay, well, that's okay, though, right? Like, we can just let go of that, can't we? We don't want to hold on to that, right? Like, that's not a big deal. Let's not hold on to that. Okay, all right, I'm letting it go. And then I ask her, are there any secrets that you're holding on to in here? Things that need to be brought out into the open instead of keeping in the dark? Any secrets? No, Dad. And then I say, you know, you know how much I love you? And then I tickle them, which is probably not the best thing to do right before bed. <laughs> but it's the same thing every night. I think in many ways, God looks at us, puts his hand on our heart, and he asks you, how's your heart? How's your heart doing? What are you holding on to? What have you been walking into that you know you shouldn't? Because your heart is so precious. I died for that. I interact with that. And so above all, can you guard your precious, precious Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.